Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Shares for beginners. Number one, investment, invest in yourself, right? So I think that's that's key. And it may feel like I don't really have an hour in the day to do this. But if you do, right, it's going to be obvious over time that you're learning and advancing relative to the people around you and you'll be running different software. It's just getting a software upgrade, right? So you want to be running the best software and not just uh, relying on what you've got or what you feel comfortable with. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. What are your investment goals and do you have a plan to reach them? How do you set up a portfolio to help you achieve those goals? Helping us out today is Matthew Hodge. G'day, Matthew. How's it going? Matthew is a Director of Equity Research, Australia and New Zealand for Morningstar Australasia. But um, I've got a list of questions here, but um, I just quickly just wanted to run through your background in mining. You're yes. actually a mining analyst. It, it yeah. was it was very brief, actually. So I studied mining engineering originally, and I ended up in central Queensland in the coal fields. It took me about eight months to figure out my future wasn't in a black hole. I got out of there and was fortunate enough to come back to Sydney and get a job with a very small financial company at the time, which grew, you know, it was right at the start of the technology boom and and Yahoo Finance and Comsec and they were all needing data and information and research. So I was right there at the start and uh, have been lucky to ride that ride that wave through. And as the business has grown, opportunities presented themselves. And uh, I think 2006 Morningstar took over the company, which is obviously very good for us too. So I attribute a lot of my career to luck. <laughs> I think it's the same way for all of us, isn't yeah. it? Actually, my dad was a mining engineer as well. Really? Yeah, he was going around to mines. He was he specialised in mine shafts designing. He he worked at Alstom. Is it Alstom? Alstom. Yeah, Alstom. Yeah, yeah. It's a French engineering company, I think. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, anyway, cool. So my my childhood is full of memories of photos of my dad in you know Mount Isa or Zion yeah. or you know many yeah. of these locations. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Okay, so let's get back to designing a portfolio. So in the first instance, how should a long-term investor approach the decision to buy or avoid a company, share, stock, whatever you want to call it? Well, I think you want to step back and ask another question first is like, what, what are you doing? And what, what are you doing this for? What are your actual goals, right? Do you want to invest in shares because you're interested in the stock market? You're interested in, in businesses? That's one reason, right? And if you start investing and you get deep into reading and, and learning, you can do that, right? If your goal is to be kind of financially secure and retire without worrying about money, the best way to get rich is to get rich slowly. Yeah, I understand a lot of your podcast listeners are quite young, which is great, right? Like time is the compounding variable and people want to beat the market, right? They want to beat the market by a percent or 2%, right? Like if you can do that uh, consistently, you are a, a, a god basically, right? So it's very, very difficult. A lot of fund managers can't do that. That's right. Well, Consist- and, and, consistently. And the fund managing industry on aggregate cannot do it after fees, right? So it's very, very difficult. And these are people who are focused on this full time. Unless it's an interest and a passion, it takes a lot of time to do it well, particularly when you've got a small amount of money. I think the best thing to do is spend less than you earn, have a consistent savings discipline, which I know is is difficult to do. But if you do that and you just put your money into something simple like an index fund, it will grow over time, right? It might reach a point where you've got half a million dollars or something like that, right? And, And if at that point you want to say, okay, now I think this is enough money for me to want to start to try to manage it myself. Maybe give yourself a sleeve of that, right? This is not specific advice, but this is just kind of like a, a philosophy, I guess, right? So, And it's interesting that you uh, mentioned that um, if you have an interest in it, because that's the key to it really, isn't it? Because you're not going to uh, learn to become a fantastic investor just because you've got a stock tip from one of your mates, for example. If it's not a passion, I would just dissuade people from going down that road basically there are are hordes of professionals out there who are spending their time doing this stuff right like you can't compete with that i occasionally go to a, a wine tasting group right and this wine tasting group is full of people who are working in the industry and tasting 100 or 200 wines a week i can't compete with that as an amateur right so i guess you have to know your limitations right but it's possible Right. If you're interested and you learn and you figure out your niche and what you're looking for, you know, what's your investment style, what makes a good business, what makes a good investment, what are you, what's the criteria you need, right? You can have a fulfilling sort of a leisure activity as well, but it can be financially rewarding as well. I spoke recently to an analyst and he used the phrase that accounting is the language of investing. And um, it's really being able to understand what you're reading when you're looking at a company report. That would be a big part of it, in your opinion? I don't come from a finance background, right? And and I think for a lot of people that do, they, you know, particularly you see this with accountants, right? They focus on the numbers, right? But the so, num- so you don't agree with that then? The, the yeah. numbers are only part of the story, right? Mm. And you can understand stories by walking into a shop, right? Like one up on Wall Street classic book talked about stockings sold at the supermarket counter and a little egg, right? And because that product was selling like hotcakes, 
and it was material to the business that owned it, that was a money-making opportunity. That didn't require a spreadsheet, right? That's just required an understanding of what was happening in the world, right? So sometimes when there are big opportunities, yes, it's important to understand the financials, but sometimes they can, can be so simple as to to not be needing that, right? So I think finance probably tends to focus maybe too much on the numbers and the qualitative, what's the story here? What's the growth prospects? How much does it cost these guys to grow? What kind of returns to expect? How that qualitative mixes together with the quantitative is really important. Just to define qualitative and quantitative, Hmm. I've heard it described recently as... uh, Qualitative is feely and quantitative is numbery. It's mm. <laughs> not a bad hack. Um, mm. um, I might need to think on that one and come back. But I mean, it, I guess I've never really questioned what makes quantitative. Uh, quantitative. Well, the quantitative bit is easy, right? Yeah. Um, that's the numbers, right? So that's the profit and loss statement, the the balance sheet, the cash flows all the ratios that come off the back of that, right? That's the that's the quantitative stuff. The qualitative stuff, I guess, is, you know, what's the business model? What's the strategy? What what are the key drivers? Those are the things that you want to understand. And see, the interesting thing, though, is that using that Peter Lynch model, invest in what you know, it really comes down then to companies that um, are retailers because you're going to be purchasing products from them or there might, might be say, for example, a business software that you might be exposed to in the course of your day-to-day activities. But then it's not going to give you direct experience of a lot of other businesses that might be very highly investable. I guess I think Buffett talks about circles of competence, right? So where do you want to start, right? So I think starting where you know or you've got a fair idea is probably not a, a bad place to start, right? And then you can do the research and and do the learning and the education piece to start to understand other industries, right? That's kind of how I would suggest perhaps going about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and if, if you did start with, you know, what I was kind of suggesting where you, the majority of your money is in an index fund and you're really not taking any swings at that, then you can really focus on the ones where you do understand them. And I think that is important. You know, I think Buffett also talks about, you know, you should have a punt card with 20 slots, right? And you, you should think very carefully about the slots that you you punch when you buy a stock, right? Because you don't get many swings. And if you did that, had that discipline, you'd be a much better investor. How does that work? I haven't heard about that concept of the... Well, I think he's trying to say, like, if, if over your investing lifetime, yeah. you can only buy 20 things, right? When you go to buy something, you have to have real conviction. Hey, I'm using 5% of my <laughs> of my purchasing decisions in my life here. This really has to matter, and I really have to have strong conviction and understanding around this, as opposed to this chart's forming a diamond pattern, and I'm selling this one and buying that one. I mean, yeah, I don't know if you've talked about the stats of, on, on traders in this podcast, but most of them lose a lot of money, which is why they have nice businesses and fancy ads. You know, they want more. It's it's a little, it's not that far away from gambling, you know. Mm. Another guest that I was just speaking to was talking about the, the, the whole GameStop uh, phenomenon mm. in the United States. Yeah. 
and how it came at a time when there was no sports betting. I mean, sports betting has only just been legalised, which I find insane in the United States. Yeah. Um, on a federal level, not in every state, of course. But then during the pandemic and the shutdowns, there was no games to, to bet on. And that yeah. was one of the driving factors behind the GameStop phenomenon. Yeah, I think the amount of money that was in the market as well, the amount of um, you know, fiscal and monetary support that had been pumped in the economy, and there was just money sloshing around. Like and, in, and nowhere to spend it. And you saw it in cryptocurrency. And they were like the market itself was going really well. You want to talk about timing the market. Those are the things to look out for and say, hey, perhaps I should be a little bit more cautious here, right? Like there's some crazy stuff going on here. I'm pretty sure that won't last. I don't know when it will stop, but I need to make sure I'm not taking excessive risk here, right? Because at some point there will be a a comeuppance. So presuming that a listener does want to take an interest in researching companies a bit more, what are some of the common ratios that they should learn about before building a portfolio? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Howard Marks talks about this, among others, is, you know, people are looking for a formula and a number, right? And if it's formulas and numbers, there's a whole army of quantitative analysts out there mining that stuff, right? So it has to be more than that, right? So you need to bring the, the qualitative understanding to bear as well. Having said that, Return on invested capital is one that we particularly use at Morningstar. So for every dollar of capital invested in this business, how much is it going to return you every year? Is it going to return you you know, $0.10, cents, 10%? Or is it going to return you 20% or 50%? Or is it going to return you 5 You know, That's one piece of information, right? And and where do, can you find that number? Well, where I would find it is we've, got a, we've yeah. got a data product called mm-hmm. Data Analysis, which I use religiously. I don't do many things religiously, but that is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I can go to there and use that. But our products will have that. So I think morningstar.com.au, you, you'll be able to find four specific stocks you, sh- you can screen and find things like that and invested capital what does that represent it represents the assets of the business right so if we're talking about bhp it's the the cost of the the trucks the plant equipment the processing plant what what they paid to build the mine essentially that would be the invested capital base which is the denominator in the the equation and the return is kind of the after-tax return after excluding any kind of interest payments right so the 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 benefit with using return on invested capital is it says let's pretend this business is completely ungeared and why does that matter okay well if you use a return on equity what happens is you might have a business that's that's generating a modest excess return on invested capital, but if you gear it up five times, the return on equity looks amazing, right? It can be 20, 30, you know, more percent, right? So if you're using return on equity as a screen, because it's got that financial leverage factor in there, it can lead you into risk-taking. So if you're in really good times, right, and you're searching for return on equity, really good times is when these businesses tend to get geared up. The market may be somewhat cautious on these names, so have an understanding of greater-than-average financial risk. And so they'll show up nicely on a PE. You do a return on equity and PE screen, you're essentially screening for over-geared companies, right? And then, okay, market turns down. It's like, whoa, you know, these are the businesses that are more likely than not to get hit, Right. So, so return on investment, invested capital is something that gives you a more accurate overview of the 
the potential of the company. It doesn't have that bias, right, yeah. of mm-hmm. return on equity. A lot of people use return on equity and it's fine, but you just need to understand that. There I think, is a difference, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. If, if you're deeply interested, if you just Google DuPont analysis, you know, then pull up the wiki page, I find DuPont analysis really, really useful as well. And it basically uh, disambiguates the return on equity into three parts. It's like the net profit margin, the asset turnover, so how much revenue for every dollar of assets you've got, and the leverage factor, so how much financial leverage, right? And why that's interesting is you can, it can tell you, is this a, a high margin, low turnover business? Is it a low margin, high turnover business, like a supermarket or something like that? Is it very capital intensive? So, you know, mining companies, their asset turnover might be one or something like that. You know, as opposed to a SaaS company, the asset turnover might be humongous, right? So, and all of those factors multiply together, right? So if you've got something that is high margin and high asset turnover, you can generate phenomenal returns on equity, right? Like in some of these, uh, you know, web-based businesses, you know, like a, like a Facebook, every dollar that comes in is basically incremental profit, right? So uh, highly scalable. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Are there any other ratios you wanted to speak of? It kind of depends what the business is, right? So, you know, if it's a SaaS business, you care about growth, user numbers, engagement, time on site, things like that. If it's a mining company, you care about where it sits on the cost curve, so what's the production costs, you know. If it's a bank, there's all sorts of things you want to know about. You want to know about the, the capital ratios. Is it well capitalized relative to peers? It seems like banks are too big to fail. So on that basis, you just want to make sure you're in the top half, I guess, you know. You don't want to be the worst bank because, you know, if there is something like a like the bad that ever happens, you you just don't want to be in the in the worst one, you know. You've mentioned a couple of authors. What are some of the publications and books that you would suggest investors reading? Yeah. Did you did you write that question? Um, no, it's one of yours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was gonna. That's cool. The question itself presumes that reading is the only way to learn, right? Which I disagree with, right? We are fortunate to be in a position where there's just been an, an absolute proliferation of different kinds of of media, right? If I'm honest, and I feel a bit bad about this, I don't read a lot of books anymore. I get on my bike go for a bike ride and I listen to podcasts, right? Or I listen to something on YouTube, right? So all of the Berkshire Hathaway AGMs, they're all on YouTube. I think I've ground my way through all of them now. And I think you do that once, maybe twice, if there's something really interesting. And they give you a lot of good ideas and and fundamental mental models, right? So Charlie Munger's book, who I highly recommend, Poor Charlie's Almanac, talks about developing mental models right so there's there's some that i that i 
I really like. Howard Marks is great. There's this podcast called Farnham Street, and he's another Buffett disciple that's really interested in mental models. So I think whenever you're learning and whenever that learning has longer-term value, you're kind of compounding your own value, right? So I think Buffett and Munger both talk about Number one, investment, invest in yourself, right? So I think that's that's key. And it may feel like I don't really have an hour in the day to do this. But if you do, right, it's going to be obvious over time that you're learning and advancing relative to the people around you and you'll be running different software. It's just getting a software upgrade, right? So you want to be running the best software and not just uh, relying on what you've got or what you feel comfortable with. I think it's important to listen to the words because you're not going to understand all the words straight off the bat. But if you keep listening, you will learn and pick those things up by osmosis. Some things do take longer, right? Or you need to have them explained in a different way or it's a different you know, presenter that presents that idea. You, but you might have a feeling like, hey, there's something in this, right? Like and then you find Daniel Kahneman talking about behavioral science, right? And you're like, oh, okay, I can see now it makes sense, right? So like there's so much stuff even on YouTube lectures and things like that now from we don't need to have the C-grade lecturer to teach us, right? We can go to the masters now. And that is a massive advancement for society and humanity and for anyone who wants to learn. Companies can be affected by many different events, both internal in the company or even macro events. What are some of the company events that cause professional investors to change their minds about holding a stock? Uh, well, again, it kind of depends what it is, right? Um, There's so many, isn't there? <laughs> there, it, it is. It is infinite, right? You know, like World Trade Center, the pandemic, trade disruptions, commodity prices house prices, interest rates. It really just depends what the business is and what their exposure is. So that that's really important, right? And I think if you're investing in a stock, you need to understand what kind of macro factors you're in, a, in effect betting on and be conscious of that, right? I, I kind of think trying to predict some of these things is a bit of a fool's errand. You know, I think economic forecasts are very similar to the, the set of numbers that we saw previously, right? Which is fine and normally that's right, but it's of little value. And then occasionally, you know, when things are very different, it's like, okay, it would have been nice to know that, but it's, I think it's, it, it's almost impossible to predict, right? So I think uh, you want to think about having the cycle work for you, right? So when think about what's a recipe for when the cycle is high, right? And I think we've seen a lot of that in the last couple of years. Cryptocurrency. And, and that's the growth stocks and um, all, cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrency, yeah. all, of, all of that stuff, right? So here's my list of markers to, you know, kind of like when you've got a road that's subject to flooding, you want to have the, you know, kind of signpost. And it doesn't have to be exactly right, but you need to know, right? And when everyone else is excited, that's a good thing too. Like, you know, the fear, greed, the, the, the VIX indicator, you know, use those as contrarian signals, right? So when everyone else is feeling awesome and everyone else is making a lot of money every day and the stock market's going up a percent every day, everyone thinks that's normal, right? You don't want to be the one selling when everyone rushes for the door at the same time, realize that was the Goldilocks assumptions that we had kind of 12 months ago, I think when the market was doing really well, like I was kind of fearful because it's like 
there's a, so many things you can point to that says this is this isn't going to stay in place, right? But the markets just didn't care, and that's what happens in bull markets. You just get a lot of confidence, and you know things get thrown in front of the market, concerns and worries and issues, and it just keeps rolling over them like a steamroller. And then one day it wakes up and goes, "Oh my God, there's all this stuff around," and uh, oh. You know, so that I think the Mr. Market analogy is a really good one, right? You know, this this idea that there's this crazy guy just offering you prices to buy and sell every day, right? And you, you use him, not the other way around, right? So if you can get that kind of mentality and discipline, it's going to feel hard because you're going to be doing different things from everybody else, right? So if you're on Twitter or Reddit or something like that, and you're doing what the other crowd's doing, that's probably not going to be great for your mental health and your investing discipline. So I think, you know, listening to some of those quieter voices, those that have been around for a long period of time, if you've been around for a long period of time, it means you've had to survive the test of time, you know, so you're more likely to kind of know what you're talking about. You mentioned the VIX indicator. What is that and how can people look at it and think about possibly there might be something happening in the future? Yeah, it's just the volatility index and you can Google it and you can you can find it very easily and it goes back over, over time and it tends to spike when prices are moving a lot. And prices, you know, talk about markets, it tends to be stairs up and elevator down, right? So the VIX tends to spike you know, when there are there are big moves in the in the market, right? So you could use something like that as a contrarian indicator of when to, okay, I've been, you know, somewhat conservative and I, I was targeting this kind of weight of equities and I was at the bottom of my range, but now I can see there's a lot of doom and gloom around. I'm going to make the bold assumption that the economy is going to continue and the stock market will continue because otherwise we're all in deep trouble, <laughs> which which at the bottom of the GFC, I think you had to kind of hold your nose and think that, right? Uh, and and, uh, and it, it's going to feel like that, but those are the those are some of the best times to, uh, to invest. Well, in that case, lots of investors might wish to try and time the market by going to cash when they see storm clouds yeah. on the horizon, but is this wise? Uh, I wouldn't try to right so i because this is all about the timing thing isn't it yeah um, and i think it's just very very difficult to do that right and you might get it right right one in a row i think peter schiff was a was a phenomenon coming out of the uh, the gfc and there were a bunch of them right and there might even be others that get two in a row you know like it's just super super hard right and what are you taking on you're taking on depending what kind of business it is you know, you're taking on Chinese fiscal policy, central bank policy, uh, central bank policy globally. There are people that can make actions which are contrary to kind of what you hypothesize, you know. So I just think it's very difficult to know all that sort of stuff. So instead, you know, what I think is if you've, let's say you've got to the point where you've got quite a decent amount of, of money and, and you've got some allocation to fixed income bonds and you've got some allocation towards equities as well we published a, a price to fair value indicator which shows you know over time it's shown signal right when when the market's been expensive and it's trading above kind of 1.1 and hasn't portended good returns for the next little while right but then the period that we we just kind of i don't know if we're coming out of it or not but i think about a month ago we we hadn't had the market so undervalued on average 
according to our valuations, uh, you had to go back to the GFC and very briefly the COVID pandemic, but that window closed very quickly. So if you have some flexibility to move your allocation to equity, then you know if you're doing opposite things to the market, if you are selling last year into the strength, buying this year into some weakness, you know, it might not be exactly right. But, you know, there's also a school of thought to say, like, just forget about all of that and just I'm just going to invest $1,000 a month or whatever it is, right, and I'm just going to do that over time and build that up over time, right? And so when you're buying it, um, when the market's down, you're getting bargains and then you, you might be buying some other ones at toppy, but they'll average out. That's right, dollar cost averaging, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. it helps you out. What's the one main thing that you would advise listeners to be aware of when approaching investing? Well, it's hard to really reduce it down to one one thing, thing, right? I guess I'd perhaps answer the question differently is, right, like know what you're doing and why, right? And then have your discipline and stick to that, right? If you've got the rules, I I like the figure, I forget what it's called in, in legal terms, you know, the lady with the blindfold. You know, uh, scales of justice, um, yeah. Some, something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. People know what I mean, right? So I think it's it's a really interesting idea, right? Like, let's put the blindfold on and pretend none of this stuff is happening, right? I'm going to make the rules for all seasons now, right? With that objectivity, right? And I think that's a really important discipline, right? So if the market's doing this, you know, this is how I want to behave. If the market's doing this, this is how I want to behave. So some of the stuff is saying about maybe being a bit more cautious when things are really, really strong, keeping a bit of money on the table and, and then, you know, being brave enough to stick to your convictions and invest when, you know, things don't look so good is going to help you out, right? So... So tell us about Morningstar. What do you do at Morningstar? Well, I used to cover mining stocks, but um, <laughs> I've fortunately escaped, uh, reached escape velocity on that. So um, I head up the team here now. So Equities research, so you're looking e- at... Equity research. Equities, yeah. yeah, we've got a team of 17, including a few associates. We cover nearly 200 stocks across Australia and New Zealand, the vast majority of the ASX 100 and most of the 200. And a smattering of Kiwi stocks as well. I see all sorts of stuff, you know, which um, one of the great things about this particular job is it's constantly forcing you to learn, right? And and not every day are those learnings pleasant, right? But you can look back on that and say, okay, you can see the progress, right? Like, and when I say not pleasant, right, it's like some company does something completely unexpected, and you've got to go, okay, uh, that wasn't what I thought. What do we deal with? How do we deal with that, right? Um, and that goes into the mix and you build your experience and um, that's all rewarding and interesting. And if listeners want to find out more about uh, Morningstar and the research that's offered? Yeah, so you can go to morningstar.com.au. Um, we have a, a free trial, which is available to um, everyone. You can get on and have a look at the research. There's a lot of articles, I think some of them are free even, around some of these ideas around personal finance and discipline and how to build up your uh, wealth over time that's not just, you know, picking stocks, right? And I think that's an important part of the equation too. Matthew Hodge, thanks very much for joining me today. Pleasure. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. 
Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. 